Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is May 20th. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan, I'm doing great. I got the uh, my, my Bixby filled up. <laughs> I am ready to go, ready to talk about the man, Ernie Ellis, today. The Big Easy, or Big Dog, as we came to know, his first full SI feature. It was two-word title, Big Dog. You were just waxing romantically about that there's only there's only two men that i've known named big dog big Who's dog that? glenn robinson Glenn Robinson. who and if you ever watched glenn robinson play college basketball oh yeah he was a yeah. big dog he was good <laughs> and was good. uh and and the, the man ernie, ernie Els. so we will uh ernie Els. you texted me pretty early today like there's a very small chance this is going to be confined to one part and uh, we're not even going to try to keep it in one part. So we are, this will be part one. Part two is at a future date, given all the, we have golf coming back now. So there's more golf to talk about. You know, we have the match to preview or discuss on Friday. It sounds like they're having a one club sh- hole. There's all sorts of things to discuss about the, the, the match at Medalist. Then we'll have the recap on Memorial Day. So I don't know when we'll do part two. It may come this Friday. Our research is ongoing, or it may be a week from today. But part one will hit from, you know, his boyhood in South Africa up to 2000 or included in 2000, his runner-up year. Up to 2000. Okay. So we're going to have a lot of great color on his upbringing, how he came up, his dominance as a young player, the 94 US Open, the 97 US Open. And that'll be part one coming. And later that is uh, the early days of the Tiger Ernie rivalry. Yeah, good stuff. So, so that'll be today, and then the next episode will be some of the angst, maybe, from that Tiger <laughs> Tiger rivalry. The late his two British Opens, certainly one at Muirfield, then the kind of the windfall one in 2012, and hey, the Hamilton s- collapse too. The other stuff, yeah. So. That'll be part two. But first, let's dispense with uh, any news. Do we have the U.S. closed, as they're saying, or the, the Invitational at Winfoot? What, what are we calling this now? The U.S. Open Championship? Just the U.S. Championship? There will be no qualifying for the 2020 U.S. Open. And uh, people give it a hard time just because it's in the title, but like, whatever. These are the practical realities on the ground nowadays. I feel extra bad because they, you know, they came out with their big marketing play I know from many one and and then this year happens. It's just it's unfortunate. Obviously, it sucks and you know for the history of the U.S. Open, this will this year will have an asterisk forever because it was will be the one one year that there weren't open qualifiers, which which sucks. But I think that they're they they have some creative ways, and I think they'll 
good find a good way to fill the field to to have it seems like the makeup and the the typical you know different stories in there um, good how they do it it'll be Are you alluding to some punches or anything there i'm wondering what you're alluding to what do you did you read something where you, you yeah they'll have a kind of diverse field as opposed to just we want the top 150 players in the world type thing i i i read i read it somewhere I can't, I'm sorry if I can't. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I don't recall where I wasn't. I didn't prepare to talk about that, but but then we'll talk I, about it more yeah, on Friday. I think that 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 will they'll have they'll have AMs. They'll have uh, na- uh, web web guys. God, I almost just called them nationwide guys. <laughs> like two, two behind. I mean, core fairy guys. So our, 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 we've been deep in Ernie research. The Bixby's runneth over today. We just loaded up. We both just filled our mugs before this recording. So swimming in Ernie L's notes and readings all, all day, really yesterday, last night. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's we're making dramatic changes to, to get events played in any way we can nowadays, right? And, you know, it's horrible timing with the From Many One. That, that would be cool if, if they do make it have sort of that mixture that we get at a U.S. Open. We'll talk more about this on Friday. Let's not give it all away. I think we should do a segment on maybe some suggested exemptions. Hey, we'll do that. Look at this, like, planning. Maybe the, like, you know, medalist at the uh, Joey D, invitational on the whatever, minor league golf tour. That's an automatic exemption to Wingfoot. Different things. Let, let's come up with some fun exemptions for them. You know? I'm in. I'm in for that. They could do. Yeah, they could do. They could make it like open championship qualifying. Maybe the uh, winner of the dump in a box classic. The big thing spot. that's going to be watch to watch is Phil. Yeah, very interesting. Said so he wasn't you know, going to take a special exemption. If I were the USGA at this point, and I'm not, and I have, I have no dog in the fight, I might tell Phil to go pound sand. The guy just. <laughs> Bad mouths him at every turn, and maybe, maybe with justification of some sort. But I don't know. I, I, why go out of your way any, anymore? I think they've tried to mend that fence many times, and it seems like he only amplifies this. Seems critiques. like it, it. Seems like the more they try, the more he resents that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I would. Uh, I hope. I'm hoping for an Ogilvy exemption. That's one I'm hoping for. The, I think that makes sense, right? He he said the last time I talked to him, he was like more amped to play than he's been in a long time because he wants to get in. Yeah, you know, and he was like really excited to work on his game this year. Yeah, so um, you know, sectionals is really one of my favorite 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 events, favorite days really to cover in this whole thing. Um, you know, I got a sectional near my house in Maryland, but. You know, it is what it is. You just got to make do with the shitty situation that's going on all around us. Um, but we'll talk more about that on Friday. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's get to Ernie. But first, first, we should talk about something that Ernie, young Ernie, didn't really like to do: practice. <laughs> practice. And how would you suggest he he could have practiced? He could have practiced using any one of many. Of the fine items that are sold at Rucket.com. Our sponsor, our spring sponsor here. You know, we're blending into summer. Spring of Rucket, they're still with us. Regular Wednesday uh, sponsor. Uh, for all your backyard sporting needs, I would say. Oh, yeah. Because it's not just golf. They got lacrosse. They got 
basketball. I got soccer goals. I've got my kids. We're playing soccer again. I, um, I've been going for a lot of runs, you yeah, know, and this yeah. one house is along my uh, along my running path. And there's always like four kids outside playing soccer. And I every time I run past it, I think of, of you with your Rugrats. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what? oh, that's probably what's going on at the Porath household <laughs> right now. And uh, they got this 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 like crappy net though. It's this beautiful house, crappy net. Yeah. And every time I run by, I'm, I'm waiting to see the parents out there. You got to get this these kids a rocket net. What's going <laughs> on here? My friends, the Burnses, they bought a giant on my recommendation, a giant like rebounder, like a giant wall, basically. This net. They they live at the top of this hill. You miss a shot at like the b- basketball goes bounding down the woods and like into some ravine and lake, like you know. And they got this giant net that they put up. They said it's been working well. I'm I'm only familiar with the golf and, and the soccer goal, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's starting to seed rocket products throughout the neighborhood. I guess. Yeah, you're just uh, making a rocket hood. These luxuries that we didn't have growing up. Yeah, I grow up. You go down that ravine, you get that ball back. <laughs> you you got to go uphill both ways, and you climb your ass back to the court. <laughs> yeah, but now we got these rocket nets. Taught you not taught you not to shoot air balls. Uh, but yeah, we've been doing the chipper hack a whack a hack. Great game. Like I said, you know it's it's nicer out now. This is my my argument now, and I made this last time, and this is a. You know, honest to God, argument, not the ad read. It's like it's a game you can you could have beer or drink in your backyard. It's nice out, and you're actually getting ideally you're sharpening something that's useful down the line, as opposed to cornhole. Right, cornhole is not you know you get better at cornhole. You they, it's staying in your backyard. You get better at chipping. Maybe you get better at chipping on a golf course, and your game is is more well refined. But while you're also playing a game in your backyard, so. That's a plug for the whack a hack game. That's it. And they are they do have their uh practice nuts now in stock. Much more in stock. So All right. rocket.com promo code is SGS SGS15. 15. Thank you. 15% off orders of $100. rocket.com SGS15. All right. Let's go to uh the big urn. Ernie L's. You've been Theodore. waiting for this one. Theodore <laughs> Ernest L's. You think his name? You think his career would have been different if he went by Theo or Teddy Ells, something like that? I, right? I might Probably. start calling him Ted. <laughs> Ted Ells. I think you know the the double E just makes it. You know that adds to the it's branding. It's really branding. If you go E E or any Ells, it just rolls off the tongue. But if he's just you know Theo Ells or Ted Ells, maybe a whole different kind of prominence in the game. Maybe not as prominent. Ted Els. I like Ted Els. <laughs> okay. The Big Easy. The Big Easy. What do you got for us? What's the we're gonna so this one's gonna be nuts and bolts. His first ten years or so. Next one will be the you know, second ten years of present day, more or less. And then we'll do like more of the holistic legacy, the subjective talk. Here's the nuts and bolts uh before we dive into these first ten years. All right, I got Larry Dorman gonna set the stage for us. All right. From the New York Times. Okay. He exudes an ease, an evident genius, and it comes first from the power he generates. It looks effortless. From the swing itself to movements that are so fluid that L seems to glide across the fairways. 
with a with the sleek grace of a lion stalking prey in a savanna. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Everybody loves that DJ gate of the oily jungle cat. Oil jungle cat. Yeah. Ernie was Ernie was that before DJ. He was the preeminent, you know, big cat tiger. I mean, he had that, tiger. he had that glide, you know, he does. that he he's does. talking about where you, you know, you, you could see his walk and his stature because of just the way he was built. He was such a big guy and you could see him, you know, you could pick Ernie Els out from a mile away. You know what they yeah. One thing I thought um I thought he was bigger than 6'3", just because he just looks so much bigger, like when he walks and when he's among the other golf pros. I'm 6'4", almost. He feels bigger than I am when I'm up around him. I don't, I don't know. He just, I thought he was bigger than 6'3". Maybe next time you guys are together in the same spot, we could get you to go back to back. <laughs> Maybe we could. Maybe we could. No, no, I just I thought he always felt bigger than that, but he is, uh, again... So much of his mystique and I don't know persona is that stature and the glide and, and the, the swing, the yeah. swing. Oh. Well, obviously, the I mean swing the swing is, is the. I mean, if I could have one swing in the history, I think I'd choose his. The rhythm and everything—it was just unbelievable. All right, so some nuts and bolts. There's about- a quote later by his teacher, similar. He said the rhythm covers up a lot of flaws. Did you see that quote? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a Crenshaw thing, but I, I don't know. That, that may be a teacher trying to justify his own existence, but I don't know. There's something, too, about the era that he he played in that before Trackman, yeah. where if it, him with a Trackman would have just been, it, yeah. I mean, he just would have been launching the ball. Because yeah. he, he gets that he got a little laid off, similar to the way DJ did, uh, does. Yeah. He, DJ and Ernie are actually kind of a comp. Um. All right. So, youngest youngest winner of the South African Am at sixteen broke player's record. Um. Before that, in 1984, at age 14, he won the Junior World Golf Title in San Diego. Are you bringing this up just to talk about because he beat Phil? Well, I'm just this is a notable win in his juniors. This is the yeah. start of of the Legend of Els. Over a field that included hometown favorite Phil Mickelson. (laughs) He wins South African Tour School at age 19. He won his first event on the South African Tour in 91. He won his first tournament outside of South Africa, the Dunlop Phoenix, in 93. Won by four there over players such as, at the time, world number one Fred Couples, Jumbo Ozaki, Vijay Singh. Uh, rookie of the year on the PGA Tour in '94. Uh, or uh, European Euro. Tour Euro t- no. rookie. No, PGA, PGA Tour. PGA Tour rookie of the year. In the yep. same year, he was European Tour Player of the Year in '94. So he's Rookie of the Year on the PGA Tour, Euro Tour Player of the Year in '94. That's o- correct. O two and O three. Uh, he won the Order of Merit on the European Tour in O three and O four. He was he reached a the high mark of number one in the official world golf rankings in nineteen ninety seven. The thing that very few players of his generation did. Um very few of even the ones we've well, not very few, but between the guys we've 
profiled, which is a lot of Hall of Famers. It's like half and half. Not a lot of the guys have got the number one, even for a week. So, okay. And he did it in maybe the hardest era to do it. 788 weeks inside the top 10 in the OWGR, which was, was a, a standing record until 2013. Who broke that? Did you look that up? I don't know. It was uh, Tiger. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so he Phil has low 700s, just to put it okay. in perspective. Okay. Four majors. He won 94 U.S. Open, 97 U.S. Open, 02 Open, uh, 2012 Open, two WGCs. He had 13 other PGA Tour wins, 22 War- Euro Tour wins, 16 Sunshine Tour wins, one Japan Tour, three Asian Tour, 18 other wins. And in that other bucket, yeah, seven world match plays, including three in a row. Yeah, so the other bucket is important here. It's not like a skins game with, you know, uh, uh, no names on the other side. Like, they were the, the like a preeminent event in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in the 80s, when we've talked a lot about that with Lyle and Woozy and some of those other guys, that the importance of that event. And then, yeah, that, that that's a key distinction because that other bucket some of these guys are just kind of garbage points this is a prime time event this is this is not fred couple's other bucket (laughs) this is uh the the world match plays so he beat he beat faldo or in one uh or monty Monty and one monty and one elkington and one vj and one uh and during he won three in a row 94 through 96 and he also like he beat Seve. i have a little tidbit about one of them he beat Seve in a quarterfinal match that was like insane um i mean these were three in a row seven overall seven overall the year he lost he lost i think on the 37th hole the when he went for the four peat he lost in the finals on the 37th hole vj maybe i think yeah i think vj got him there okay um all right so one other kind of important thing. There's only one player that outwon Tiger Woods twice in Tiger's prime of his career. Not, what are you defining not, as outwon? What that like mean? he won more worldwide twice. A lot there are a handful in a season? In, in a year. In a, year, in a okay. calendar year. There's okay. there's a number of players that had a one year from yeah. I think I think I'd, I think the numbers from like ninety eight through 2008 or the yeah so there are a number of players that out won tiger once in a year there ernie did it back-to-back years um in 0405 or 0304 0304 so like i mean yeah like jason day type or duvall like these they could have a hot year vj vj had one year davis love had one year duvall had one year but Ernie Els did it twice. Only player ever did that. Gotcha. Phil Mickelson never did that. Okay. Um, all right. You ready for the peak run? Okay. Another another hard one, in my opinion. Crenshaw was a hard one just because of different... I cheated with the majors. I made it 11. Okay. And, I, and it, when we do Phil, uh, Phil's a cheat, you, you want to give both these guys 11. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, actually, I I actually cut it down to ten. 
Or no, okay. no, it is eleven. It is eleven. Okay, okay ninety-four okay. to oh four. Forty starts, three wins, six runner-ups, two thirds, one fourth, twenty-two top tens, and four missed cuts. Four missed cuts. Four missed in eleven cuts. years. Eleven years of majors. How many runner-ups? Uh, six runner-ups. Six runner-ups. I mean, he finished finished first or second roughly 25% of the time. It's unbelievable. And he finished in the top 10 over 50% of the time, and he missed the cut 10% of the time, which is just pretty insane. Now, if you oh, go to God. his his worldwide, and this is important, he I mean he traveled the world, he trekked everywhere. He was playing hey, real quick, real quick. While you're talking about major records, from his peak, one thing I found almost endearing about him, just complete no show at the players. No, no, apparently no time, no interest, no appeal. He had three, maybe four top tens, but like the best was like a T six in like 08. Never, even his peak players just. Uh, some people might might hold that against them. I it's an endearing thing for this podcast. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. All right, worldwide, you were talking about. worldwide ninety six to 05. So okay. it's important to note that like the year, the bookend years on either one are four win years on either side of this. I'm not that we're not counting. Actually, yeah. Okay. So. So uh, actually, we're going ninety four to oh three, five five win. We're missing the five win, oh four, okay. And uh, and then he had a six win ninety two that we are including. Oh my god! And a four yeah. win and a four win oh five. A lot of wins. It's hard to. He's the kind of consistent player for a long, long time that it's it's hard to really boil into a ten year ten year run. Ten, 10 years, 306 starts. So this is, this is easy math off the top. 306 starts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 33 wins. 10% wins. 33 runner-ups. 10% runner-ups. 17 third places and 63 other top 10s. So that's... Wow. How many third places? 17. How many wins? 33. 33. So 63, 66 wins and runners up. Okay. And then 80 other top 10s. And he had 306 starts? Yeah. So 100, 164, or 100, yeah, 166. I got like 27% of the time, top three in those starts. Yeah. 27%. Does that make sense? Uh Uh-huh. Pretty amazing. Now, how many missed cuts? 306 starts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got me trying to, like wanting to go so low. 15. 21. 21. Out of a, th- a 10 year period, three, uh, 306 starts, 21 missed cuts. 55% of the time he played. He finished in the top 10 for 10 years. Wow. And I think it's important that like these aren't like T8s too. There's so many of them are runner-ups and thirds and yeah. you know, wins. So amazing. 
Yeah, and, so and and twenty two percent of the time, first or second. I think we'll get to this in a minute, but like he's not he's not just driving from Fort Worth. He's not driving from Dallas to Colonial. The guy's like playing the Nelson, then flying to Wentworth. He's skipping Colonial. He's playing in you know Phuket, Thailand. He's playing all over the world. And yeah, that's going to be some, you know, less competitive fields certainly mixed in there. But like he was committed to flying all over the world and not just like in November and October off season times. He's so so we'll get into that a little bit on like what was the toll? What was the cost? What was the advantage or, or the benefit? So we'll get into that again. It's just something to keep in mind when we're talking about these numbers. Yeah. And regularly making 30, 30 to 30 plus starts a year too yeah you know like this guy he wasn't taking but he wasn't he didn't really work hard (laughs) necessarily and he is the first to admit that he didn't really work hard but he he showed up and he played and he played weekends every single time Yep. you know there's something to be said when you miss the cut you get almost some rest you get a recharge you get a reset when you're playing every single weekend and in the the thick of half your tournament that takes it's a lot you know so yep. you want to get yep. into his uh upbringing his childhood yeah let's do it let's do it uh one thing i found interesting was like a little throwaway line one article which i can't remember a site but he didn't learn english until he was 10 did you see that i didn't see that so he speaks in the clipped accent of Afri- of an Afrikaans speaker who didn't learn English until he was 10. It was somewhere from Sports Illustrated, maybe Alan Shipnuck. I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know, know that, that either. Uh, so just a little about, about his upbringing. This is from a, uh, I believe, a Rosefort, Tim Rosefort article. The Big, big Dog. Big Dog article. Good read. <laughs> Good read. Golf came easy for the young L's. At age four, he would drag his father's trolley around the Kempton Park course near Johannesburg, where his father, Niels Els, Niels Els, played his round. Alongside his older brothers, uh, his older brother, he learned to swing by gripping down the shafts of their dad's clubs. But there was more to Els' athletic career than golf. He played soccer, cricket, rugby, tennis. And when he came home from a rugby game at age 12 with a broken finger, his mother, Hetty, forbade him from playing contact sports. Which is kind of interesting because he's has this reputation as being a guy you probably wouldn't want to engage in some form of contact, combative contact big, with. Big guy, big athletic guy. His mom like immediately was like, "No, you got a broken finger. No more contact sports." Um, really, really good tennis player, right? That was the big thing. Played a ton of tennis. Won some, I don't know, regional championship at age, I don't know, thirteen. He didn't pick up a club. Till he was eight, I saw. Yeah. I mean, they talk about four, he would drag his father's trolley around, but I, I didn't mean pick up a club. He didn't really start to play until he was eight, I should say. And he was winning that world junior at 14, six years later. Um, but tennis was like the big, his other big, you know, passion. Uh, 13, he won a regional event. 84 at 14, you know, he won that junior world and his dad dug up the tennis court in their yard backyard it's like so, golf's your sport so great put, put a putting green in golf's your sport you know he's so serious you know with tennis he's like you can't be successful in both sports you got to make a change so 
Um, he goes, I realized I was better at golf than at tennis. You know, guys were beating me at tennis. So should say he's, you know, not from, a, you know, a destitute background. His dad was like pretty kind of successful. They had trucking. a tennis court in their back. <laughs> yeah. Trucking company, I think they said. Uh, maybe logistics. I don't know what it was. Some sort of trucking and transport company in Johannesburg. Uh, he, probably he, probably helped with Ernie's uh, future wine business. Maybe, maybe. U.S. universities expressed interest in him, but he didn't want to devote four years to college golf, and his father didn't want him to leave South Africa. So, uh, you have anything else on when he was real young? How about anything the you mandatory want to military? That's where I'm going next. So instead of leaving, he didn't want to leave South Africa, so Ernie began 22 months of mandatory service in the South African military, joining the Army in January of 88. Um, but Ernie didn't get exactly, he wasn't in the muck. He wasn't in the trenches, really. So what happened was he went to boot camp, and I guess one of like the officers in the military was like a golf nut, and, they, yeah. and he found out about Ernie. So he was like, oh, yeah. At, at that point, like you said, he won the South African Amateur. I, I, there's some dispute. He's 16 or just turned 17. I read both ways. Yeah. So I, youngest I ever to win the South African Amateur. So this guy in South Africa was fighting like a war with Angola at the time. Yeah. So, so like his friends were going into battle and this this officer loved golf. And he's like, yeah. no, you're not going. You're, <laughs> you're staying here and you're giving us lessons. So you'd yeah. be given officers in the military lessons and spend it like all day on the driving range. After five months of basic training, Els lived the coddled life of a top athlete. While many of his friends were up in Angola fighting against the Cubans, Els held down a cushy job at the Pretoria Air Force Base and allowed him to play and teach golf all day long. I wonder if that Pretoria Air Force Base is the home to that one of those great Gary Player designs now <laughs> that we see on the European tour. Because um, one of them else? is in Pretoria. That is true. That is true. Uh, so I, I also picked up like he was pretty, it sounds like he was pretty thin and, and not terribly strong and this time in the military is when he really started to bulk up and got you know build out those shoulders shoulders in his frame get a little stronger that makes sense so uh, anything else so on the upbringing nothing else really the, the big thing is that south african again this is a not to the extent of vj but someone that's not playing all the regular AJGA or amateur events. There's like, or British events. Like he, he's down in South Africa. He's, uh, you know, playing very good golf and winning amateur titles there. But, but there's less of a record competitively against guys who would become pros. Yeah. And it's just, there's less exposure, you know, sure. just it, sure. the same thing happens. If Australians want to get exposure, they have to come to the United States or go to Europe to play you know, and that stuff. It's the same thing with South Africa, even to a smaller extent, as well as, you know, VJ, even to a smaller extent. It's the path to, to PGA Tour superstardom is much bumpier for somebody, especially at this time, pre-really internet, uh, the path to, and pre-social media, the path to superstardom was much longer and much more difficult. You don't become a name brand overnight, but... Ernie kind of did. He burst on the scene. 
So yep. he turns pro and he had a horrible start to his uh, his professional career uh, in, in the United States that most people don't know about. He played on the Hogan Tour in oh, 91. That's right. that's right. The Hogan that's Tour, right. which was then the, you know, what is today the Corn Ferry Tour. I was going to say the you web. Know, <laughs> I was going to finish your sentence. If somebody's listening to this two years from now, it might be called something else. <laughs> that's true. But uh, so in, he played eight events. He earned Not- only $6,143 and grew terribly homesick. This is from Rosa Ford's article. Uh, he returned He returned home low on confidence, but that difficult period was part of L's education. Missing cuts and staying at roadside motels gave him a sobering dose of reality. Those guys are survivors out there, L says. They play for a living and they kicked my butt. So he went to Ledbetter right after this. For it was not and Ledbetter's the first to admit it was not to do major swing work. It was like minor stuff. It was not the Faldo type thing. Yeah. Where it is in the weeds. And, and so He's with Ledbetter. So 91, he gets washes out on the Hogan tour, goes back. And then he goes to Ledbetter. At some point, he's not with Ledbetter, this this Baker person that we'll talk about, his other teacher. And then he goes back to Ledbetter again later on, Butch Harmon. He's got a, a so he's Ledbetter's very early, and then Ledbetter comes back again. And, and so there's also a great Washington Post article by Paul Taylor. Yeah. Um, that talks about this and, and, uh, his agent, Feldman, I, I forgot what his first name is, remembers Els then as an immature kid in his early 20s who liked junk food and beer and didn't <laughs> like to practice, exercise, or wake up in the morning. During that period, Els had three automobile accidents. Twice he was driving, and once, the most serious one, a friend was at the wheel. It, uh, it was just after Christmas that my buddy and I were pretty well oiled, he recalls. The car oh rolled over a few times. Els lost most, much of the skin off his left hand. Two fingernails had to be sewn back on. What the hell? I didn't see that. Uh, this was a, there was a, that Washington Post article was phenomenal. There's a lot. There's a bunch of stuff I got pulled from there. Okay. Um, Just before the, we talk about Ledbetter, here's a quote from uh, from him. Uh, this was later, I think, in his career. Um, I've never been a very technical player. I don't get caught up in swing positions and mechanics. When I work on my swing, I'm looking for feels. You'll get better results and often more distance if you swing it at eighty percent effort. I get all kinds of people telling me I have the best swing in the world. It's beautiful. It's effortless. But I know when that isn't true. So I think that's just an interesting, as we talk about contrast to the way Faldo did, right? It was all mechanics. It was every little thing. He's practicing in the middle of the fairways, you know, looking at Polaroids in the airport all the time, all that stuff. It's a very different approach, even though Ledbetter you know, has this reputation of being very technical. So you want to, uh, I, I guess, we. I got another thing on the swing since we're here. Okay, all right. This is also from that Paul Taylor Washington Post article. Okay. The excitement starts with the swing. It's long and lazy, fluid and elegant. Bobby Jones once said it's impossible to swing a golf club too slowly. Els has taken that cannon to heart. Fellow South Africa, uh, South African Gary Player says he has the sweetest swing since Sam Sneeds. 
A British golf writer, Michael Williams, says Ells seems not so much to strike the ball as to gather it on the club face and then release it. <laughs> Pretty good. Really good. good. We'll have a lot, lot of, you know, gushing over his swing. I'm sure will come out during this this spotlight. But when he played that Hogan tour, he had a bad hook. That was the thing. This that vicious hooks, right? Yes. And that comes up every now and then. Well, happened at Oakmont, right? I mean, he never fully goes away. Right? I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the future of the story. But yeah. guess what? Nobody has a bad hook anymore because of driver technology. <laughs> that was a thing when the heads were small, is yeah. that you could hit snap hooks. Um, all right, so he calls on Ledbetter, 92, after Washington on the Hogan tour. Um, it, it Ledbetter, to minimize this vicious hook, he had Ells rotate his grip and correct his weight shift. And then he, you know, better results soon followed per this. Uh, I read somewhere he got his legs out of it a little. Like it, they, he started using his legs less, which is okay. interesting when you, if, if you think about today, everybody uses their legs almost more. The ground force yeah. and all that and stuff. Yeah. So okay. 92 starts with a bang. Yep. He's done with the States. He's back in the Sunshine Tour. Went six of eight events on the Sunshine Tour in 92. What do you got on 92? Anything you want to focus on? You, 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 you got it right in front of you, What he, all the things he did? Okay. Uh, yeah, including the Sunshine Tour, including his country's Triple Crown. He won six of eight events, as I said. He won the Masters, the Open, and the PGA on the Sunshine, Shun, Sunshine Tour. Last person to do that had been player 13 years prior. Mm-hmm. So, um, go ahead. Uh, so he we, we skipped the end of '91 though. Dunlop, you already you alluded to it. So after the Hogan tour, I mean, he he dominated. He had four rounds in the '60s at Dunlop Phoenix in Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, and then in start of '92, he shot a 61 to uh, to beat Norman in, in six by six strokes at the Dubai Desert Desert Classic. So big wins, like kind of. Poor results in the States, but wins at Dunlop Phoenix that year as well. You know, it's kind of like sandwiched around some shows of talent around the world. And you also think about like, okay, this is a kid that didn't have the best work ethic, is really young, not from America, goes to America and has to drive around spot to spot on this developmental tour. Like a lot of times that's not going to go well. If you took American kid and put him in South Africa in the same situation, it probably wouldn't go well for them. You know, oh, I, I screwed up the time in there. Yeah. Dunlop was 93. 93. Sorry, I would jumped a year ahead. It was a year later after 92. Okay. So, um, from this Washington post article, which w- ran after his U S open win, um, this is 92, Els was is one of the busiest players on the tour. He'll have played uh, 35 events by the end of the year. And there's a five-week stretch in October and November where he played in five time zones and on three continents. But he play, pay, plainly sets his sights on the majors and has consistently raised his level of play for them with a win and four, uh, four other top tens on his career. So this is the thing. At this point in his career, he's just all over the map. You know, Dubai... Japan, South Africa, America, like just jumping all over the place. Dominates the Sunshine Tour. Wins the Dunlop Phoenix in 93 with four rounds in the 60s against the field you mentioned. 
you know, couples and others. In 92, he, he is his second start in a major, which is the open. Uh, and he finishes T fifth and then it's at Mirfield. So Where he would later win in O two. And this is a quote. This was from a, uh, like a remembrance article on open championship. The 92 open, this is else. The 92 open was the opening of the door for me to where I'm sitting today. There uh, was a real burning ambition to do really well and get trophies and get started with my career as, uh, as so to speak. Seeing how much that claret jug meant to Faldo, seeing the emotion was quite something to behold. If it wasn't for that championship, wasn't for the fact I finished fifth, which enabled me to get into the next U.S. Open, which I won, which gave me a 10-year exemption, 94 would never have happened. Uh, it was the start of many things to come. Interesting. I didn't read that. All right. All right. You want to so go ni- to 94? So 92, he had to get in that open via all the Sunshine Tour dominance, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. All right. Uh, we jump ahead to 94. with We had a Dunlop Phoenix win in there in 93, but 94 is really... We had that kinda- Norm- the win over Norman at Dubai... That's early, that's January ninety four. Mm-hmm. His first Euro Tour win beats uh, Norman by six shots. Opened with a sixty one. So, uh, all right, what do you want to talk about with ninety four? Straight to uh, U.S. Open, Oakmont. I mean, that was his first American win. I know he had that Dubai win in January, but there was already kind of a his name preceded him, right? Like they knew this guy was really really good based on dunlop based on you know top five at uh muirfield they knew he was going to be a player and and obviously more american players see it up close that week and, and sort of in that stretch that summer of 94 and the quotes take on a different loftier level i think my favorite one is Curtis strange. Curtis Strange after he yeah. played with Els in the third round and he watched Els <laughs> shoot a front nine thirty at Oakmont. He Strange said, I think I have just played with the next god. <laughs> Pretty good. That's a uh, they're all so many of them. Player, you know, gushes over him as he would, Nicholas, all these guys. Uh f- everybody has a lot of Similar quotes to what you heard about Crenshaw when he was dominating at Texas, things like that. But I think I just played with the next God is maybe my favorite one from Curtis Strange too. So he wins. Right, what else? About but it Oakmont? was not. It was Oakmont. an eventful, eventful tournament. This is the hardest course I've ever seen. Announced Nick Faldo about Oakmont '94. Um, I did not know Jack Nicholas was playing well at this event. How about that? Great he start. The, he had the lead, like a one-shot lead, like some late in, on Friday, Yeah, I think. Kind of crazy, 1994. So this event, I should say, kind of all gets overshadowed by the OJ stuff going on, right? This is why it's not as maybe, you know, at the time it got buried, right? The cover source illustrated as OJ, OJ, OJ is all that week. Monday playoff, you know, everything's OJ. So... I uh, maybe the event kind of lost uh, prominence certainly the week of so and, and then you know its place in history was diluted because of that but all right uh you know Nicholas plays really well as Palmer's last one I mean he played really well for two days and then got 
kind of blowing out. But Ernie Ernie wins it without his best stuff, right? Besides that <laughs> front nine with Curtis. Well, it was kind of a disastrous Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't watching the scoreboard, so he didn't know what he needed to do. He and then he had to drop things. He got a really good drop on one hole. Um and uh then coming down the stretch, he's not watching the scoreboard, so he doesn't know that he three-putted 16. He missed a 5-footer on 17, and then on 18, he didn't he just needs a par to win and he thinks he needs a birdie. And he hits driver way off the world left. He had to make an eight footer for Bogey just to get into the into the Monday, Monday playoff with Lauren Roberts and Monty. Because he thought he needed birdie, right? On the last Yeah, hole? he thought he, he needed took birdie. He's like, oh, if I if I had known that, I would have just hit like a two iron or something. <laughs> I forget what he said. Uh, an iron up the fairway. But he, instead he, he did that hard hook left. Yeah. He had to like kind of chip back into the get back in the fairway. And, and then he was in a sand filled divot. That's right. So getting back in the fairway, his ball landed in a divot. <laughs> so he made, he had to make an eight footer for bogey just to get in, and then he starts Monday. He makes a triple bogey on the first hole of the second Monday. hole. Didn't second, go bogey second triple. Hole, second hole, yeah, bogey triple. Four so over the, the, through two. The playoff was a, a pillow fight. Is Monty, who we t- we talked about this in the Monty spotlight, and Lauren Roberts. And Oakmont's kicking everybody's ass, but Ernie starts the playoff bogey, triple bogey. Just he's hitting it, chipping it all over the green on the second hole, everywhere. Um, it's reminiscent of Westy's start to Sunday at Oakmont a few years ago. What happened? Oh, <laughs> except Ernie <laughs> <He> was like <laughs> recovered. Westy was like a marker, by the, like back nine on that event. Like, remember? Yeah. With DJ, he's basically there to just like run interference on the USGA officials, almost. Um, okay. So, uh, prior to this, though, we should just say, you know, the big thing was this drop, right? Yeah. It was a temporary movable obstruction. Temporary immovable obstruction that. The best part is like the scene it drives away <laughs> as soon as they walk off. It's like a camera crane on a cart. And this uh, USGA <laughs> official, Dr. Trey Holland, a urologist from Indianapolis. I think this is a Rick Riley article. Um, he was chairman of the USGA Rules Committee. He nearly gave, nearly gave the tournament to Ells. What happened was that Ells got himself a stomach full of hummingbirds on the first tee, smashed his driver into the rough, you could lose a piano in. It's Rick Riley for sure. At that point, Ernie had to wish he were somewhere else. A lot of L's puns, you know? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. The, best, the best he could do was chip out sideways and make bogey. And the worst he could do was make double and lose the open five minutes into his round. But that's when Holland decided that an ABC cherry picker with a camera on it was an L's line of play to the hole. It's a temporary movable instruction, said Holland. It was temporary, all right. But it certainly was the first object on wheels ever called immovable. Holland allowed Ells a free drop on a sweet patch of trampled down grass. Dane, a fan, said a fan nearby. Why don't you just give him a tee? Ells knocked it onto the green, three-putted anyway. Not long after, the immovable obstruction started up its engine and drove off. (laughs) I made a mistake, Holland said later. I feel bad. (laughs) Pretty good, right? Pretty incredible. (laughs) Fantastic stuff. That's 
That's a good USGA official story. There's and <laughs> there's USGA I mean chairman <laughs> chairman of the rules committee though. Not like you know, some guy that's out there. Chairman of the rules might committee. Might have had a late night at the bar the night before. You never know <laughs> with those guys. So Els hit six fairways all day. He's all over the place. On 17, he gets another drop, a, a, a backboarding type issue. Yes. This is your man, your hero. Might have won the U.S. Open because of backboarding. Not, not, he got you know, plenty not of bad breaks later in his career. You know, we're going to get to those. <laughs> On the 17th hole of the playoff, which is at Oakmont, the, the drivable up the hill, right? Yeah. Um, when not only the wheels were coming off, but the axles, muffler, and ashtray, too. Having just three putted the par three sixteenth to fall back into tie with Robert. This is on Sunday. Oh shit! You're right. This is Sunday. Roberts at six under. This is on Sunday before the hard hook. Yeah. On eighteen, we just alluded to. He tried to drive the par four seventeenth and hit it so far left his ball wound up behind the bleachers. So the urologist said those three words again: temporary movable instruction. And Ellis got more free lifts than the Clinton staff member. Ellis was allowed to get out from behind the bleachers, drop 15 yards forward into a lovely flat predetermined drop area, which he enjoyed very much, chipping up within five feet. Uh, so I'm sorry, we're out of order again. He gets the, the TIO relief that was on a cart on Sunday, gets the bleachers TIO relief on 17, then makes that incredible bogey save from the hard hook, Sandy Divot on 18 to get into a playoff with Lauren Roberts. Monday, he starts bogey, triple bogey, and, and everybody's just kind of hanging on for dear life, right? Yeah. Roberts Roberts should have won it in regulation. He had a four-footer up the hill, a little left to right. The boss of and, the moss, known, known for putting. This is the thing. And he missed it. He went back to his Holiday Inn, which I found was an amazing detail. He's at staying at the Holiday Inn and has to stay another night, Sunday night. Monty blew it, too. <laughs> well, of course, Monty. We'll talk more about Monty. Maybe ninety-seven Congo. <laughs> we could talk about Layman there too. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other details on the playoff other than? He, I mean, he hits so six he, fairways. Horrible, but then he just grinds grinds away. I think the the thing with um with it is that he. He had all the game, so he could avoid, he could have things where he hit the ball terribly. You know, he drove it awfully, and this was usually his, one of his strengths. But because he had the complete package, he was great at everything. He was able to grind out a win here. And a big thing that's hammered home in a lot of these articles is like just how he's a lot stronger than guys, naturally strong at that point too. So like at an Oakmont, he could hit six fairways and kind of get up and out farther than a lot of the players yeah at that time he's naturally very strong already so he wins the monday playoff he becomes after starting bogey triple he's the fifth player he's only the fifth player since world war ii to win a major before turning 25 pretty good company it's you know nicholas player lots of guys like that i think only one of those guys didn't win multiple majors it was pate yeah, Maybe. Jerry Pate. Yeah. Um, so first first win in America is the US Open. Not bad. And, and with all this stuff coming before, you know, all his reputation preceding him, people assume this is gonna be a Gary Player type career. 
Maybe it was. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Anything else on Oakmont that you want to discuss? Nothing else on Oakmont. There's one quote that I loved. Uh, the player. It was a player quote. Mm-hmm. He showed me what I used to see in Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas. Jack could play badly and still get the ball in the hole and win. That to me is more impressive than long drives and all the other things that matter. He holds that putt on the last hole. The great ones don't miss him, and Ernie is going to be a great one. I mean, Roberts was really pushing him, and like he had to make the putts, and he was missing fairways, and he made a few of his own teeth chatterers, as as Riley put it. Um, all right, so ninety four, you know, Monty, wins- Monty was pushing him. Like, Monty was not a factor in the Monday playoffs <laughs> no. from everything I read. So, 94, he wins the U.S. Open. He had a T- T8 at the Masters that year. Then he kind of takes a while for him to figure out Augusta after that T8. Um, he he followed that up. He had 369s with the record later that summer, seven straight British Opens, Brit- British Open rounds in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he finished 24th. Um, but it was his ninth major. And in those majors, in those 90, he has five top 10 finishes. So five top 10s in his first nine major championship starts. Really kind of lightened it up in, in these early 90s starts. Um, anything else you want to do on 94? 94, he wins his first world match play. And he plays Seve in the quarterfinals. Okay. This is just an incredible... Matt, 30 so these are all 36 hole matches you know this is this event sounds like it was awesome like i would love to watch this event it's just the best players in the world playing match play against each other so sevi ernie 94 world match play sevi's won this event at that time five times and he birdies seven of the eight par threes in the, in on this golf course he had seven twos on the scorecard. Holy cow! And Ernie beats him on uh, on on the thirty fifth hole. And on the day, Ernie had ten birdies and two eagles. Where was this? Do we know? I was think this? this one was at Wentworth, if I, I was if say. I can remember. Okay. So amazing match! Holy cow! Seven twos goes to thirty six. Goes almost. Holy cow! This the the world match play crazy. I yeah. I like wish this tournament existed so badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, ninety four really obviously he's you know under. I just found it interesting this time. Like under twenty five major winners just didn't happen. It's not happening a ton now either, but like it seems a little more frequent, a little more challenge, much more well. challengers. One could could say that the the game has transformed from one of skill (laughs) to one of speed. I I walked you into that one. uh, That would be a telltale sign that speed is is overtaking skill as the most important aspect of the game. So he plays well at the Masters, wins the U.S. Open, plays those rounds in the 60s at the British Open. Gary Player, unless something unusual happens, this man is going to win many, many major championships. Augusta is just made for him. And watch out for him at St. Andrews next year, Mr. Player. All right. All right. So 95. Yep. He uh he wins uh he wins his first PGA tour event. 
Nelson, TPC Four Seasons, Las Colinas, right? Yeah. Isn't that the big the big first win? He won, he beat, did he, is this the one he ran away with? Yeah. Or was yeah. it, yeah. He just smoked everybody. He uh, he won by There's a lot of, three a lot shots. of smokings in there. Okay. Beats oh, Buick, Buick is the one he won by eight. Okay. Okay. Uh, he beat Robin Freeman, Mike Heinen, and D.A. Wybring. Freeman goes, he doesn't do anything wrong. Wybrain said, what's amazing is nothing in his game stands out from the rest. Every area is exceptional. Pretty good quote, right? Yeah. You think you see this guy that's powerful and big, you're going to say something stands out. He goes, nothing stands out because it's all so good. Um, It was his 15th win, which is interesting. First PGA Tour win, I guess if you don't count the US. I don't count. Those shouldn't count as people. Because they count them as European Tour wins, too. And they just should be their own class yeah you know so it's his 15th win worldwide but you know hadn't won on the tour uh he moved past loner do you think the, the telecast they were talking about how he hadn't won on tour yet but <laughs> <laughs> that got me thinking what do you think twitter would do nowadays if a guy got tio relief and then the cart started motor moseying up the fairway like a few seconds later can you imagine that golf twitter right now they go nuts it would be so fun if that happened all right so he wins the nelson uh he's fourth place in the sony that that's amazing to me he's number four in the world never won on the pga tour kind of just doesn't exist anymore we it exists a lot in this spotlight series right with guys like woozy and sevy and lyle and euro players but i don't know that that happens anymore right I feel like you it's have- the internet. What do you mean? It's like people get, it's like the European tour got killed by the internet almost. Because once okay. like this quick spread of information happened, then yeah. then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we got to get all the best best players over here and we know who the best players are, you know? Like I feel like you could you could plot along in relative obscurity so much more than, yeah, that may be. He, he won, so he won a Sunshine event in January of '95. He wins the Lexington South African PGA Championship in February of '95. He wins this thing, the Byron Nelson in <laughs> May. Thing. Nelson gets the backseat to the to South African. Okay, he, he struggles in the in the first two majors, and then. He has kind of his first, oh, he kind of blew that one. Uh, oh, yeah. At the uh, PGA, both the Open and the PGA. So Riviera, he, right? 95? Well, at the Open at St. Andrews in 95, he was tied for the lead through 54 holes with Daly and shoots final round 75, finishes T11. And then 95 PGA, he's got a three-shot lead on Sunday, shoots 72 to lose by two to Elkington. So we're starting to get, even in these earliest days where like this guy is like the next Gary player, next superstar, there's a little bit of the like, he wins his first event and then like this whole Kenny Close thing sets in quickly, probably too quickly for a guy who's like not even 25 and already has a major. But it becomes a thing. It becomes a thing. So he doesn't, the Riviera thing, they talk, I saw it written as collapse in the one article. 95 St. Andrews. I think he was really pissed at himself for that, you know, kind of 
kicked it down on Sunday. Uh, and it becomes like his Sunday scoring average becomes a talking point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it becomes but, a talking point all the way till he wins at Westchester. I mean, in the in the meantime, he wins another world match play in 95. Yeah. So it goes 94, 95, 96 at that event match play, right? Wins yeah. The three straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, he I, wins four times in 95, and these are the things that are starting to come up. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting that I find is all these guys, all these other pros talk most about his like temperament in these earlier days. Oh, right? yeah. His mind, like, oh, he just doesn't, like, he's so cool. cool uh, I think a Ivan Maisel or Jaime Diaz article in 95 was like, his most, the veterans believe his most valuable attribute is his cool temperament. And as, you know, as long as Alice can keep that head firmly atop his broad shoulders, his American journey should be a case of manifest destiny. His greatest menace appears to be an ambivalence toward the demands of success and fame. A lot of people want your attention. A lot of people want you to do things, Alice says, and I'm not that kind of person. So uh, the guys like Nicholas and all, they just salivated over him just being less his talent which they love but more like his temperament yeah which norman in later years of the part two of this podcast might become a i don't know that people would say he's cool they might say tiger made him a basket case i don't know we'll, we'll get to that in part two but go ahead yeah i, I mean norman talked about right. how, how like just worry free he was and that's why he's gonna win so much is because he's so worry free and coming from norman that makes sense you know, Norman. Yeah, Norman's like where he is now. It took me like 15 years to get to where he is now, and I'm not sure Norman was even there when he said that quote. Too. So uh, this is uh, from a Diaz article, and this was the when he when he Westchester won Eight Westchester shots. and in '96 he ran away, and it was a very tough course. But he, that speaking of this time, it was. That was more than enough time for a whispering campaign to create an unflattering char- characterization. Els is a softy with no stomach for the demands of greatness, and he would rather lounge around his beach house in South Africa than match Wills with the world's best players. It was wondering aloud whether other gifted 20-somethings, players such as Phil Mickelson, Duval, uh, and Justin Leonard were better built for the long haul. Yep. And worse, critics cited growing evidence that Ells had devolved into a poor closer. So he talked about St. Andrews with Daly, talked about the Riviera, um, you know, but at this one, you know, he dominates, wins by eight. At Memorial, though, Memorial, the week before Westchester, he was tied with, for the lead with Tom Watson with 17 holes to go. And he shot a 75 at Memorial. So, like, it becomes a thing. He's he's a softy, as you said. Um, that was a pretty strong word to use. And, and he's not a Sunday closer. Mm-hmm. Then he wins by eight at Westchester. And he goes, I was starting to worry that I couldn't finish tournaments. And his scoring average was 73.11, 147th on the tour at the time. I just, I, so Westchester was set up to, like, as a U.S. Open type prep. Mm-hmm. And he just, Norman goes, Ernie used his driver everywhere without really worrying about where he hit it because he was in a zone with the short game. He had a swing under control, great touch, and clear mind. He just hammers driver because he knows he has a short game to compensate if he that's off. So, um, But 
this starts to become the spotlight thing. I love this quote about Tiger. Did you yes. see that one? Yeah. I. You want to go for it? Yeah, sure. And it, the one thing Norman said this week was, Ernie's so easygoing, which is exactly why I think he'll just keep winning. So, so he had this dismay for the spotlight. He hated it. Like the thing he, th- he immediately, when he won the U.S. Open, like just hated it. So we, let's talk about the tension here for a second, though. So I, there's all this stuff like he's easygoing, but he maybe might be like a, a choke or whatever. That he can't close and he hates the spotlight. There's so much of like the mental stuff, like trying to figure out who this guy is. Is he easygoing? Is he ambivalent? Or does he get too tense on Sundays? Or, you know, is he just not want to be a famous professional athlete? Like, there's all these things about him going on in the 90s that I found interesting. All these, I'm not sure. I think guys were searching for a narrative about him, is what I'm saying. I yeah. don't know that there was one easy thing to pin down. And they, but here's this. And they didn't ahead. know that much because he didn't spend that much time in America. Right. You know, he would be right. in for a tournament or two and then he'd be gone. Yeah. Uh, so, what's his anti fame quote about Tiger? So uh, so he said, uh, for example, last week he expressed sympathy for U.S. amateur and NCAA champ Tiger Woods saying, when he turns pro, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. He referred to the increased attention he received after winning at Oakmont as the pain barrier. Uh, at the same time, he seems resolved to not let uh, such an annoyance compromise his gift. I'm not, I, I'm not really for being a celebrity but I think I can find a way to get through it. I'd like to know what I gave, uh, that I gave it my best shot. Again, I, I just don't, I, I don't think it's as simple as one thing, but it seems like uh, reading this, I can't, there's all these conflicting narratives. Is easy going mentality is his best thing or no, he's too tense and he gets choke chokes on Sunday. can't close or I don't know. He doesn't want to be a famous pro, but Okay. That's ninety the ninety six Westchester eight shot win. It kind of keeps him on the map. He's certainly a contender for you know among the best. I mean, players he in the keeps world. him in the map, and he's a uh, top tour. five. He's a Sorry. top five yeah. player. There's this, this, this American slant going on because he's winning a ton. <laughs> well, that's the thing. He's like back in the spotlight because he won the Westchester by eight. So Buick class. Yeah, he won the South African Open again that that January. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. like he wasn't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's move to uh 97 97 you got anything you're good moving yeah. on 97 well, just right. point pertinent to note won another world match play <laughs> this one uh this one over vj 95 he won over elkington who had just won the pga everyone shows up to that too yeah well, not, maybe not the regular american mainstays but that is not a shit field he won three times in a row all right, 97. Are we going to the U.S. Open? Yeah, we might as well. That's where we're going. U.S. This, Open. This, you, it, just, this is in your backyard. It really is. Sounded like a complete free-for-all. Complete complete circus. It's the, tiger, the, usher, the first major after Tiger won the Masters. The unwashed masses. The peasantry stormed the gates of Congressional, apparently. There's all sorts of anecdotes about this. It just became one giant party. The beer tents overflowing. You can't, no room and the rain delays, just everyone getting hammered. So, um, the big one, the big challengers here were Layman, Jeff Maggart for a little bit, and Monty. 
but it was more Layman, Ernie, and uh, Monty at the end on Sunday. Uh, Layman was the big one. He was going to be the, the only man to lead three consecutive U.S. Opens with 18 holes to play <laughs> and blow them all, and he did. And uh, Unbelievable. What I found interesting in this Rick Riley, he was clearly in the box with uh, Clinton, President Clinton at the time, mm-hmm. who was like, uh, sounds like aggressively cheering for Layman to win, shouting for Layman to win, Clinton, which is ironic because I'm pretty sure Layman was not a uh, supporter of Clinton's or, or his party. Um, let's get to some of the circus atmosphere. Yes. Here's Rick Riley. Tiger Woods is bringing all sorts of new fans to the golf course, many of whom believe a sand wedge blast is the latest combo deal at Subway. I don't really understand that. Golf gets a younger, louder, and wilder crowd times two. For the first time, the sentence, check out that pin placement, right? (laughs) Refer to a pierced nose in the gallery. These aren't golf fans, one congressional member grumbled. These are yahoos. Yahoos. This was before the the popular search engine. There's the... There's that Congo membership. Uh, so true, says Rick Riley. And ain't it great? During Friday's two-hour and 40-minute rain delay, the 10,000 or so gathered at the steeply banked theater across the lake from the 17th green, which I think is now 18, I want to say. Or it was 18. It's torn up again. Uh, 17th green did the first wave in open history. Even when they were warned that lightning was in the area and they would do well to take cover. So no forced evacuations, just, you know, suggest it, take cover. They refused to give up their positions. Are you crazy? Tiger will be coming through and simply held each other's places while making emergency trips to the microbrew tent. On Saturday, during a one-hour frog choker of a downpour, they turned the hill into a sort of sort of adult water world, taking great running starts at it, flopping in the mud head first. And then trying to figure out a way to stop themselves before having to take a free drop out of the lake. So they're just doing mudslides down this giant bank in, almost into the lake during a one-hour rain delay. It's pouring. Davis Love, this has been the rowdiest gallery I think I have ever seen. It's turning into baseball or basketball when people can yell or say anything they want. And this is uh, 97, congressional. It got a little out of hand on Friday when Tiger seemed to have a chance to win, and the bulbous Brit, Colin Montgomery, took the first-round tournament best 565 to the course. And this is, we talked about this with Monty. They're chanting, go USA, as he missed putts. You know, Monty pops back, save it for the Ryder Cup, uh, and, and set the record for, quote, most times backing away from a putt on yeah. account of port- pot- port-o-potty doors slamming <laughs> per Rick Riley. He shoots 76 on Friday. Yeah, coming down the stretch, he he took like five minutes to hit a putt. Yes, more than five minutes, I think, on 17. Did you see who else was paired with early in the tournament? Who? Uh, John Daly, who was was only three weeks or a few weeks out of rehab. Betty Ford. And he he ended up WDing. So... he just didn't. He didn't show up. They made the turn, and he wasn't on the tenth tee. Yeah. Who Who else were they with? He was, was with Daly, uh, Els, and uh, Stewart. Payne Stewart. Yeah. And nobody could. Nobody could find him. You and imagine they, dealing with that? Like somebody just leaving, not telling you, <laughs> playing with him, and he's just gone. Doesn't even tell you he left. Like he probably stood there for twenty minutes waiting for him. 
He's three weeks out of Betty Ford. Not even Daly's caddy, Brian Wedgie Alexander, guy not much bigger than bad, knew, bag, knew his boss's whereabouts. They waited. Daly didn't show. They waited some more. Daly didn't show. USGA official went looking for him. Finally, Elson Stewart went on, leaving poor Wedgie, the caddy, waiting by himself. When he was finally found, Daly was having a cigarette in his courtesy car. He goes, well, you can't let a few groups play through? Then Daly started the car and drove straight through to his home in Memphis, 850 miles away. Unbelievable. How long Didn't do you tell think him. it took to find him? It sounded like 30, 25, 30 minutes. Do you think they just waited on the tee? Do you think like... It seems like they waited for about five to seven minutes and they're like, I, what do we do? We got to keep going. And that was it. So you got the mud slides. You got daily just not telling anyone he's WDing, but goes to the parking lot to have a smoke. And uh, I don't know. You got Ernie just plodding along in this kind of crazy atmosphere, mostly due to Tiger. So um, Tiger was not good this week, right? No. Riley goes, maybe maybe you disagree, but Woods will win at least one of these opens. Oh, he, he had the most high, tournament high 14 birdies. Yeah. With three doubles and uh, eight three putts. He, so. he got, he, he got, he just got in some trouble. I mean, but obviously he, when you make the most birdies in a field, there's the talent shows. And he, I mean, keep in mind, he's 21 at the time. His quote said, I'm humbled. I mean, this was right after the 97 Masters, obviously. So, um, anything on L's? So, I mean, he, he one putted out of his ass. Yeah, you know, he had 10. Mind. He At one point on Sunday, he had 10 one putts on a stretch of 13 holes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, so, on 17, so Lehman, uh, L's, and Monty are all tied on the 17th. And they played it. it, it they had to play in the morning too because of delays. Yeah. So yeah, you know they. So they're all tied on the seventeenth. Monty misses a a, a shorty that took five that minutes. Took five to, minutes to hit. More than five minutes to make his putt. Layman rinses it, and it, I mean, it sounds like he was just talking to himself before he hit the shot. He's like, "What do you say? It couldn't have been a better situation." Yeah, like he's uh, like, "It was perfect." perfect lie it's his like right to left shot or something and he just overcooked it into the water so 17th hole layman rinses it and ells hits like a great shot um yeah but missed the putt right two putted for par yeah I yeah think. two putted for par um you know monty on on 17 which people that listen to the monty or the wing foot pod will know yeah. you know what he did with the second shot there on 17? Yeah, where he made the bogey. At, at Congressional? Yeah. No. What was it? No. So you missed short right. Okay. On 17. Oh, 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 It's the gotcha. miss he made every time under pressure. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Short right, short yep. right, short yep. right. Yep. Um, yep. So so then he pars, and he pars 18. Monty. Yeah, or, or else. Else, else pars. Yeah, Monty needed a birdie. Lehman needed an ace after hitting in the water on 17. Uh, he one-putted 10 of 13 holes. Here's uh, here's Rick from the Riley article. Ells had put the slowest and sweetest swing of the day on an unforgettable five iron that flagged the pin and stopped eight feet behind it. This is 17 after he watched Ells hit it, or Lehman hit it in the water. He goes, in all my life, I've never felt such tension. 
you know, then Monty took more than five minutes to hit his five foot try. His five footer for par that Monty took five minutes for. Um, I enjoyed this this anecdote about Els. He likes his lager and is likely to find drinking it with a bunch of caddies. In fact, he is more often going to bed at five in the morning than getting up at that hour. Ernie is so laid back, it's frightening, Monty said. Because <laughs> that's an allusion to he had to get up at five or something yeah. on Sunday because they had to finish the third round. They're like, he's usually drinking, out drinking till five. So, anything else on 97 other than it was just, you know, Tiger Mania and Ernie's winning his second U.S. Open? I mean, this is the so you just think about golf here, right? You got, yeah. <clears throat> you got Tiger 21 wins this, and Ernie is this international superstar who just wins his second U.S. Open. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's on. You know, to back up Tiger with the Ernie U.S. Open, his second, it's all of a sudden, this starts the Tiger Ernie. But still not like a full-time U.S. player, right? So he did not get the pub and where people would more be like Tiger Phil type stuff, you know? I don't think people were talking Tiger Phil at this time. Not at this time, so but that quote, Ernie was not uh, in America as much as those two. That quote in 96 where they talked about, like, it, to me, it that Jaime Diaz article where they talked in 96 at Westchester wondered aloud whether other gifted 20-somethings were better yeah. built. Like, that was like, oh, those those other guys. Duval Leonard. Like, yeah. I, to me, I read that as Ernie Els was here. And those other yeah. guys are here. Well, he had already won a U.S. Open. I mean, he won 13 times at that point. Phil Duvall. 15 Leonard times. Had. Yeah. So. Uh, last couple tidbits from Congo. Congressional. Monty wandered toward a roped off section of the Congo veranda and cried. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh about I feel that, so bad for him. It's more of like a sympathy laugh than pain laugh. And then this is... Uh, Slick Will, Billy Clinton doing the uh, the linebacker thing. Did you see that? No. About Els? He's a big, strong kid, isn't he? Looks like a linebacker. So it's the pre-Brooks, like default cliche. So Bill Clinton calling, uh, saying Ernie looks like a linebacker. That's just what we do. If anybody who's not doesn't look like Ricky, everybody looks like a linebacker. That's not over 5'10". All right. Unbelievable. That's, that's uh, congressional. He wins his next start, right? He did. Westchester again. Two weeks later, but his next start, and he gets the number one in the world. Uh, it was a wire-to-wire victory, so he's the best player in the world. Second major he won. He's number one in the rankings. Wins again at Westchester. He defended his Buick Classic title. Um, you know, Beats Jeff Maggart again. Maggart was involved at, at congressional. Um, and he's number one in the world. Yeah, and then he goes, uh, the next big event is the 97 uh, Johnny Walker. Can we talk about real quick, Buick? Oh, yeah. Just because there were some good quotes. Yeah. He's number one in the world now. The scary thing about Ernie, this is Frank Nobolo, who became maybe his best friend. The scary thing about Ernie is that he's not playing out of his mind right now. This is the kind of player he is. He has no weakness. Other guys might be higher up in the driving stats, but Ernie has more power and reserve than any of them. He's the best player in the world out of the rough in the same class as Seve when he was in his prime. 
He can hit his irons as high and soft or he can hit his irons as high and soft or low and penetrating as he wants. He's a magnificent bunker player. You know, growing up, Ernie was skinny and weak, and as a result, he really focused on his short game. You can see the evidence when he's around the green and especially when he's putting. Kind of good stuff from Navalo. Yeah. Compares him to Seve out of the rough. He's got more power than any of the guys at the top uh, of the driving stats. It's just all in reserve. He's number one in the world. Um, I And I think that's just such an important thing to note that this is the wound ball era. Like the ability to hit it as high and low as, and penetrating, that's different than now. Like everybody hits a knuckleball now. Like yeah. this is like he could do it all. Yep. Yep. This is this is an Alan Shipnuck article too, by the way. He won the Buick. Um, Maggart. So Maggart like gave him like a fake tackle going off the 18th green because he just beat him again. And, and you know, he goes, "I was trying to push him into the green and smash him, and you could hardly blame him." Uh, Maggart played the foil for Els, and he you know couldn't beat him. But Els has been gracious toward Maggart, but not sympathetic. What the hell? You can't stand out on the golf course and feel sorry for anybody else, says. So be it if they finish second again. That's life. It's something they've got to live with. Which, you know, they would kind of come around on him <laughs> that way with Tiger in about three years. He was in the Maggart spot. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of, what the hell? You can't stand out and feel sorry for anybody. So be it if they finish second again. Um, I, I love this Shipnuck article. I'm sorry. I don't want to go too long. No, no, go. Classic. But, you know, he goes, there's heavy breathing about his physical gifts, but he's rarely appreciated for his skills from the neck up. He's one of the few players who has the mental toughness to excel in one-on-one confrontation. He's the only player to win three straight world match plays. He's a standout in the 96 President's Cup. And says Steve Alkington, his teammate at Prez Cup, Ernie may look laid back and easygoing and all those ways he's usually described, but I wouldn't, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to take it. I wouldn't have wanted to take him on in a fist fight before those matches. Quote, he likes that stuff. <laughs> Great illusion to just like, he likes to brawl. <laughs> I think that becomes very well known. Yeah. So this is another thing. Like, this is Shipnuck, who's, who can be hard on guys. When so many of the games, an era when so many of the game's elite players flinch, when faced with the demands and pressures of being on top, L's attitude seems to be bring it on. Asked if he was the best player. He says, right now, I'd have to say so, yes. So he's ready for a long stay. Oh, God. This is a freezing cold takes, all right? This is an unbelievable one. This is why I love this article, because of his quote about second place and all that. Here's Alan. L's looks ready for a long stay at number one, especially when you compare him with the guy he bumped, Woods, who lasted one week. That uh, did not happen. Looks <laughs> ready for a long stay at number one, especially compared with the guy he bumped, Woods. I'm, guessing, no I'm guessing Alan is kind of mad that you've <laughs> dug up this article. I'm sorry. I mean, we all wrote this kind of stuff after we all after a guy wins. He has no interest in being a celebrity and sees no point in filling up the bank with tens of millions of dollars. This is another thing. He goes, I'm going to stick with my companies. I'm not chasing appearance fees. I'm going to stick with my, I'm not going to like, now that I'm number one in the world, I'm not going to jump to the equipment company with the most cash. I like my equipment and I'm not going to go Use play links. appearance fees. He might've been tailor-made yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and he just, he loved how he, he you know, Tiger Mania, he, he's like, I love it. I, I don't want the galleries following me. I want to be out of the limelight. All right. You got Johnny Walker stuff you want to talk about? I, I had, I'm sorry. I had to bring those. No, no, those about. are great. They, they don't say sorry. I missed that article. But number two in the world or runner ups. He's like, sorry, Jeff. Like, that's just the way it is. So this is, uh, this is so 98 Bay Hill. Uh, so th- this is Johnny Walker. Tiger comes back from eight behind on Woods to win in a playoff. And this is, this is like kind of the start of them tussling head to head more. So, yeah. uh, yeah. and this is L's said, I wouldn't say Tiger won that tournament. Oh, um, this is, a, this, I mean, at this point he's got two SEO, two US opens. He, he, Speaks pretty frank about Tiger. He got kinda. he shot a sixty five on Sunday. Yeah, I played atrocious on the weekend. He didn't win as much as I lost it. Um, and of the spastic fist pumping that followed, Will said with a broad grin, "That's his trademark. It's good for TV." This is what this was that the Johnny Walker. Yeah, this was this article is from the ninety eight Bay Hill. So, ninety-eight Bay Hill, but I would just say this is about the last time Ernie's kind of speaking. Well, maybe not, uh, but but it's a very different tone than what happened, obviously, with Tiger. Took Ni- off ninety-nine was the year he just takes off, right? Yeah. yeah. So ninety-eight Bay Hill. This it, is an awesome, awesome. Sounds like a tournament of could have been the Sunday of the decade with the way it was set up. Is Tiger? Go ahead. So 36 holes because of, of weather and the final group for the 36 holes is woods and DL three at 10 under and L's at eight under. Yep. So yep. turns out L's, which by the way, those are three of the major winners from the prior year. Yeah. Love at Wingfoot, Ernie at congressional and tiger at the masters. They're all playing together on Sunday. Go ahead. So playing, playing in the last group with woods on a grueling 36 hole final day, L's taught Woods a lesson. He's not likely to forget shooting 65-73 to Tiger's toothless 73-77. That L's won a tournament by four strokes over Bob Estes and Jeff Maggard. Again, Maggard. (laughs) And collected 360 grand uh, was almost incidental. This was the Tiger and Ernie show. And L's at least didn't disappoint. People were saying that today is what the future of golf is going to look like, and I hope they're right. Uh, L's woofed on Sunday. Um, Unbelievable! Wo- yeah, he's like this. I mean, it's very much the opposite. Ernie, you know, dominating Tiger, and this is the future of golf. And talking about that's his trademark about the fist pumps. You know, I wouldn't say Tiger won that as much as I blew it. You know, Ernie wasn't this kind of macho with tiger after this so much so. yeah and, and and i mean the thing that was amazing is like so this si article has quotes from bob estes who finished runner-up yeah. talking about how he wanted to go watch instead of play he wanted to go <laughs> watch that group like woods love and else uh-huh so um what so wood scoffed at the uh suggestion that he was intimidated by else's intensity but he did allow that he played great. He did what he had to do. And then uh, L said, I wouldn't say we're rivals, but there is a rivalry on the golf course. 
I think it's only going to get bigger now. That's interesting. See, to the disappointment of some, they harbor no animosity. They're in good friends, which is, they are in fact good friends, which Tiger says. I mean, I don't, Tiger just says he's friends with everybody when it's barely the case. Um, apparently they like cross paths in the, in the locker room between the 36 hole Sunday in between the rounds. And, uh, Woods was slumped at the bar, sipping a Sprite and munching on pretzels and a banana when Ells ambled in and inquired what he was drinking. And Woods said, vodka on the rocks. So in between their third and fourth round, I think Tiger was kind of already, you know, well behind Tiger. Uh, Ernie made the joke. So um, um, I also I also noted in this article, Alan said his Tiger's fade to thirteenth was the most egregious example yet of his newly acquired habit of coming up short. He's taken to downplaying his winless streak on tour, which dates back to last July's Western Open. So this was like. A little bit of a lull for Tiger after that 97 Masters and before the majors of 2000. So Yeah, in, in 99, he was insane. Yeah, too. yes. Um, yes. So, it, so far, and this is, you know, March of, of 98, Ells mm-hmm. has played eight tournaments on four continents. The difference this year is how well he's played in them. Six top 10 finishes, including a victory in the South African Open. He also leads the European Tour money list, um, and he said, I've never really gone into the Masters with too much confidence. This year, it's another story. Did you see his quote about from Fred Nabilo again? I didn't. About that? So he never played well at Augusta, really, prior to 2000. He had that T8 in his first one. And even with player saying, Gary Player, like, the Augusta is just made for him. He hadn't played well in those first, like, say, like, 96 to 2000 until the runner-up at 2000. And Nabilo talked about that international travel because his best friend and Orlando neighbor, Nabilo, if anything is holding Ernie back at Augusta, it's his scheduling. He's very loyal to the South African tour and the other international events. And he flies all over the world from January to March to support them. By the time the masters come, he's exhausted, which they were talking about this win at Bay Hill was like, he's usually not good in the U S until like summer, summer. And, you know, Nabla's like, I don't think he's good at Augusta because he's flying all over the world the first three months. So th- now he wins at Bay Hill and he's like, I, I think I- I'm in chip shape for Augusta. So, so he gets married in-, in the end of 98. Did you have the uh, engagement story? I didn't. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good. So he went all over the world. Look, or he took his time finding the right r- ring. Took a while to get engaged, but um. So he was like fumbling around in his pocket, and the rock just flew out of his pocket on the on the ground in front of his then girl uh, girlfriend, Liesel. Right? Is yeah, that how you say it? I Liesl? think so. <laughs> um, and she goes, "What is that?" And Els in a full panic says, "What do you mean?" And she goes again. What is that? He was a three wood, three wood away from the rock that had fallen out of his pocket. He goes, "Oh, it's just a rock I picked up." And meanwhile, it's this massive diamond. He goes, he just claims it's like a pebble he picked up. And moments later, he surrendered peacefully. He had all these plans to do this great engagement. <laughs> it like just fell out of his pocket. Amazing. 
He goes, moments later, he surrendered and gave her the diamond and popped the question. And, and Lazel says, the way he asked me was so him, she says, laughing. I wouldn't have it any other way. And Elsa's other Elsa's assessment of the situation was, I'm useless. Such a good, good story, Ernie. Just like fumbling around the so rock. So relatable. <laughs> it's kind of relatable. He had all these plans, some restaurant they were talking about. It just like fell out of his pocket. So he gets married uh, later that year. So, so uh, this is from uh, this is from an article, SI article, I think. But he gets married late afternoon ceremony, followed by a reception for more than three hundred and fifty guests, which turned into a New Year's Eve party that lasted <laughs> until dawn. All hell broke loose, says Al Grinning. It was quite the party. <laughs> I love that story. The late afternoon <laughs> wedding that turned into like until, went dawn. until dawn the next day. <laughs> uh, it, anything else about the uh, his relationship with his wife? It seems like they just love each other. It seems like they were like the uh, you know, the envy of all the couples on tour. They're like both great people, easygoing, and they're like took them a while to pop the question. Like, when are you going to get engaged? Um, there was a fun thing about how I thought it was relatable to your current situation. So Liesl's from more of like a farm country and, and Ernie's from Johannesburg. And she talked about this one, I think it was Ivan Maisel. You know, they went and stayed on a farm and Els, they woke daily at 7 a.m. to give bottles to two orphaned lambs. For a city kid like Els who grew up in Johannesburg, the work was a revelation. For Liesl's family, when Els does any work, it is a revelation. <laughs> in-laws it's like this guy's just a golfer it's like when he does any work it's a revelation unreal here's his wife while we were home ernie told one of the papers he was helping build fences that wasn't true he watched people build fences and her parents were suggested framing the article that sounds relatable to your current situation yeah the fences uh the fence. you like ernie could just watch the persons build a fence and claim you built it afterwards i'm gonna build the fence <laughs> when it happens is the is a big question but i will build a fence <laughs> all right so that's 98 they got married um you have anything else on, on that era no, nothing else we got 99 and then then we're gonna pause it okay all right let's go Let's do it. So, 99, this this Woods-Ells rivalry is brewing. And uh, we have another big event at Riviera. Yeah. Just, I mean, the rundown of courses, he's won, you know, he's winning at Westchester twice. You know, Bay Hill, whatever you think of it as a regular stout course. You know, he won at Oakmont. He won at Congressional. And now he's at Riviera, and th- these are just U.S. based. Obviously, he he wins a Muirfield later on, but U.S. based in the '90s, he's he's picking off some pretty primo venues. So goes so, head, head, not head to head, but R- Tiger's involved. Yeah, it, it's uh, he he beats Tiger and uh, and Davis Love, who's then yep. ranked number three in the world, and yep. he he doesn't have a, a round higher than sixty eight. He wins by two over a bunch of players, including yep. Woods and and Davis Love the third. And this is from a Gary Van Sickle SI article. Let's settle the debate right now. 
The question we've all been wrestling with is this. Who's the best player in the world, David Duvall or Tiger Woods? Based on what transpired during the last week's Nissan, a.k.a. LA Open, at Riviera Country Club, the correct answer is neither. The best player in the world has to be Ernie Els, the 29-year-old, two-time U.S. Open champion we forget about because our attention span is shorter than the list of next Michael Jordan candidate. While it's true that the world ranking says Woods is numero uno with Duvall second, number four L's standout performance at Riviera among a cast that featured more big guns than Saving Private Ryan means that the Big Easy, as the laid-back L's is known, is poised to reestablish himself in the Big Easy chair. And then Davis Love said, we tend to forget about Ernie because he doesn't play over here that much. Just like the Bulls are over, now it's the Lakers. It's a, what, are, what have you done for me lately? Another NBA, kind of, as we're all watching The Last Dance. Everybody was making Jordan references then. Um, this is Windsor, this is probably the last time before it turned. To Tiger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. March of 99, wins at Riviera. Um, or late February, I guess, maybe in 99. I, I, I found it interesting in this... After out of this Riviera Riviera articles, Van Sickle alleged alluded to like back troubles he was having. Yeah, I saw. Did that. you notice that? Uh huh. And, and you know his I don't know his back problems began when he started a training program, which is caddy Ricky Roberts said he should get off the exercise bike and get back on the beer. Which I don't know, like if he had this back trouble in like ninety eight ninety nine. And he's just flying everywhere all over the world. I, I just wonder. We didn't hear much about that, um, and, and I don't know. I I had never heard much about the back trouble. So um, this was also where his uh, coach Robert Baker in this article. You know, he met he he. You know, he usually worked with Robert Baker like in early February and March, but they moved it to like the fall, the preceding fall, he only does touch-ups and tune-ups, right? He's not like, that's not like a weekly thing. It's like, all right, let's go talk for a couple sessions and, and that's it. Maybe once, two, three times a year. Um, and Bob Toski saw this Robert Baker guy who's, who's coaching him and at the Hall of Fame thing and Toski goes, you know, Tate Baker introduces himself. He goes, you're Ernie L's instructor? The only thing you can do with Ernie L's is fuck him up. <laughs> But Baker alluded, Ernie's, uh, Baker, you know, countered said, Ernie's beautiful rhythm disguises a lot of flaws. We've worked very hard and he used to be a phenomenal putter, but has struggled with that in the last few years. Something that would become a trend. So he wins at, uh, wins at Riviera. He's number one in the world, according to Gary Van Sickle, not in the rankings, but you know, he beats Tiger. The one thing I thought about that, that was interesting. I think he hit a, uh, he hit a hit a fairway wood. Into 18 on a second shot. Imagine that. Not something you see. It was a stiff breeze, but... Remember when a 470-yard <laughs> par four up a, Uphill. Up a, up a canyon <laughs> wasn't driver wedge. He had to hit a fairway wood into 18 to win. So uh, that, that was it. I'd say that is about the last one. So, yeah. So, you know, given the year, Woods had won the Buick, finishes second at the Nissan, and then... From the Deutsche Bank uh, on, he wins 
he wins uh eight more times in in ninety nine. Talking about Tiger. Yeah. 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 And that's like the there's that's no it. question anymore. And then we'll get to next time. Two thousand is like the runner up year of the age for the ages for Ernie. Yeah. Real heartbreak runner up. So, Anything else you want to hit on for this like first section? This is it. I think the theme of this one is this like this world this world traveler, world player who accomplished so much, you know, before he was even before he well before he was thirty, you know, ninety four, ninety seven US opens and and kind of this guy that until Tiger came along, clearly we thought was you know, presumably it was gonna be the next guy. So I mean it was. At this point, he's won over twenty five times already I, in his career. I think the three mat world match play things in a row really stands out to me in this era as well. I think this, it's just yeah, and like the loyalty like him talking the yeah. loyalty to the South African tour. You Did know? you know that? I mean, I knew he played in South Africa. Did you know that? I, I think like people I, of our age generally just know him as sort of well, part of the Tiger Challenger group in the States, but he was a world player through the end. Always, you know, the always yeah. a world player. And he always wanted to, you know, like he understood like the people that took chances on him, gave him spots and re- re- like he's a very loyal person, seemingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's the thing. So, 92, he went six times, 93 once, 94, five, 95, four, 96, three, 97, three, 98, two, 99, three. All right. So, good place to break. Uh, next part, we'll get into some of the personality, some of the drinking stories, the fighting stories, his last two majors, two open championships. Um, we'll get into the new millennia. Maybe a little bit more of the Tiger thing and how it kind of turned. And uh, that will be part two. We're not sure when that will be. Maybe next week, maybe Friday. Still discussing. All right, everyone enjoy your Wednesday and we'll catch up with you on Friday. Friday.